Hey, swim out of the boxers. Long time no see. Today, we're lucky enough to get to talk to Jamie Bennett, a local physical therapist who specializes in internal work, specifically the pelvic floor. We chat all about what parts of your body make up the pelvic floor, what signs to look for in case you're concerned your pelvic floor needs a tune-up. Hint, hint, it most likely does. A simple way to strengthen the muscles of your pelvic floor and more. I'm a little bit of a third wheel on this one. I'm not going to lie, but you know what? I did my best. I think I should say pelvic floor one more time. Pelvic floor? Let's get to it. We're recording now. (laughs) That might be something we edit because I didn't have the (laughs) mic next to me at all. And so it might be just really quiet in the background talking. Okay. Um, All right. Let's get started. We're going. Uh, We're going to talk about the pelvic floor today. I'm excited about this because I tried, I think, like easily six to eight weeks to get Jarrett, one of our strength and conditioning coaches, friends, a mutual acquaintance, um, to come and talk about the pelvic floor with me. He didn't feel 100% comfortable talking about it. He felt like you, Jamie, would be a much better, uh, we'll call it expert, in, in talking about the pelvic floor. And so he referred you to us, which is really nice, right? It's always nice to have, we always talk about how great it is to have all these friends that do all these different things that we can just invite onto the podcast. It's equally nice to have our friends know people that we can invite onto the podcast. <laughs> so welcome to Swim Out of the Box. Thank you. Um, give us a quick little like <clears throat> background. What it is you do, how you do it, what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, like we were talking just before we started recording, like you've been a PT for how long? Sure. Um, So I've been a PT since 2009. Um, I graduated from Marymount, which is in Arlington. And then in 2013, I started to study um, pelvic floor physical therapy. Wow. Uh, Most specifically to women. But then I fell in love with it. And so then I started to, I also treat men, um, some pediatrics, and now currently I'm seeing a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction in postpartum women, pregnant women, and also with um, women who are interested in getting back to sport. So So. the pelvic floor Mm -hmm. seems... We're going to explain, because I don't know, which means someone out there also doesn't know. What is the pelvic floor? Please explain, Jamie, since I was in the middle of asking. (laughs) Go ahead, please. Um, So your pelvic floor is a um, group of muscles that sit within the pelvis. Men and women have a pelvic floor, which is something that I get asked a lot. (laughs) A lot of male patients don't think that they actually have a pelvic floor as well. Um, But it acts uh, as a support system for the organs in the pelvis. But it also has a number of different other roles, including um, the sphincter. So it it controls the um, urine. It helps with bowel movements. It's also very important for sexual function. Um, It is important for blood and lymph flow through the pelvis. And it also is super important for stability of the pelvis and the lower back and the hips because everything is connected. Right. So um, what I was going to say before I was so rudely interrupted... um, the pelvic floor, you've been studying the pelvic floor since 2013. Sure. That's a long time. It is a long time. That would mean that it's really complicated. Very <laughs> complicated. There, there is a lot to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, 
So there's a lot involved because a lot of pelvic floor dysfunction is missed or not diagnosed or diagnosed after a long period of treating something else and it doesn't seem to work. Um, It's oftentimes thought of as a dysfunction of middle-aged women, postpartum women, old women, um, incontinence. That's what everybody thinks pelvic floor dysfunction is. But in reality, there's a lot more to it than that, which is why I'm not done studying. There's a lot yeah. more to learn. So is it is it akin to sort of like uh, core muscles, where like core muscles kind of connect to each other? Is it similar to that? It, it is, and it's often um, it's often missed when people are trying to focus on core strengthening. Um, if you want to think of your core like a canister, which we do, uh-huh, of course. <laughs> so the pelvic floor is the bottom of the canister. Got it. Your abdominals, those are the front. Your lower back muscles, specifically the multifidus, those are the stabilizers in the in the back. And then you've got the diaphragm on the top. So if you're going to effectively train your core, you have to make sure that you're not um, missing out on the pelvic floor piece. Yeah, that's that's actually really helpful because if you picture like a can, a Coke mm-hmm. can, the, the diaphragm is the top of the can. Correct. Which is, I would say always a missed opportunity people mm-hmm. never consider the diaphragm as a core muscle Correct. right like uh, pts obviously good pts would right? Right, right. um i don't know if i do as a coach but i don't know a lot of swim coaches that consider the diaphragm as an important muscle sure. um and so it's nice to just kind of like put that puzzle together and go oh the top of the canister is the diaphragm the bottom is the pelvic floor if you don't use your diaphragm appropriately it atrophies basically and you breathe funky and weird and that causes postural issues but it's also sort of the same thing then for the pelvic floor i'm assuming breathing would help to strengthen the pelvic floor absolutely even if you're unaware of it when you're when you are training your diaphragm your pelvic floor is moving with the diaphragm so when you take a nice inhale your pelvic floor is relaxing or descending and then as you exhale it's coming back up right. so we can teach people to try and work with their breathing to get their pelvic floor to either strengthen or relax depending on what their needs are okay <clears throat> so. um so part of the conversation about you know before we even talked to you mm-hmm. talking with Jarrett, we were talking about uh Abdominal pressure, yeah. internal abdominal pressure, right? Mm-hmm. And I think pelvic floor is almost like a subcategory of that, just like I think the diaphragm is a subcategory of that, right? And so that's where he he didn't feel comfortable necessarily talking much about the pelvic floor, and I was specifically interested in it, mm-hmm. not just abdominal pressure, because it's that, that second piece. Can you define abdominal pressure? Because I'm paying attention to it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to take that? Um, so it's the canister. It's important to manage. So with, with exercise, exactly, exactly. With exercise, with exertion, um, with lifting or running, any of that, a lot of times, like, especially I was training with Jarrett and he would encourage me to brace. So the brace is important. And Jared does weightlifting. Correct. Yes. Yes. So when we're, he and I were doing deadlifts or squats, we talked a lot about the bracing, but in order to do that safely, you have to make sure that your pressure is, is evenly distributed in a lot of women, for example, CrossFit, 
mm-hmm. it's somewhat oh. acceptable that there is incontinence in these strong women who compete in CrossFit because they're not managing their pressure properly. They're strong. Everything is strong. Mm-hmm. Typically, going about their daily life, they're not having incontinence. But because the pressure within their canister is not being managed, mm-hmm. they experience incontinence with heavy lifts or repetitive lifts. I feel like CrossFit, and I did it for a couple of years, so I'm not like completely out of left field here. But like a lot of times with CrossFit, I always found that they were like loopholes. Sure. <laughs> so that you could do something, quote unquote, sure. that you can't really do. Um yeah. But I, yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't do, like, if I do a burpee now, I definitely don't do it the way that I did it in CrossFit. Because, like, you're just cheating, in my opinion. Uh, you're just falling to the sure. ground. You're not, I don't know. Um, but so when you're talking about abdominal pressure, is that something, like, I work out, like, six days a week, but I'm not, like, an athlete or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I used to swim all the time. Um, would I know, like, what, like, ooh, I had bad abdominal pressure today? Like, how do you manage that or know anything about it? There are, there are great cues. There are great ways to be instructed in um, setting up the, your core and um, bracing properly and making sure that you're not bearing down too hard or you're not letting all the pressure escape out through the top. A lot of times you hear people kind of yell or grunt when they're in the gym. Mm-hmm. That's the pressure coming up through the glottis, through the top. Um, and so there are cues. There are ways to try and make sure that when people do brace, that they're doing it correctly. Right. And so that's um, basically what foundational breathing method is built upon is that canister and how do we actually put ourselves in the position to create a good canister. I understand canister. I've never heard the term abdominal pressure before. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to. So if you think about like when I have you doing crocodile breathing, you're on your stomach, ribs are pressed into the, the ground because of gravity, right? As I ask you to. Like crocodile it's when you lay on your stomach. And you have your hands underneath your cheek. Your head is turned to one side. As you inhale, you should be inhaling in a 360 like a crocodile would or a baby would. Um, so when I ask you to do that, and I would ask you to fill up your lower back with air and your obliques would expand outward, that was the the pressure that you were causing or generating. Okay. Make sense? Yeah. So we, we teach this. We teach it all the time. This is like something that is like the root of all of my coaching for every client because, right, because having abdominal pressure while you swim, while you do anything athletic is incredibly important in my opinion, but what do I know? Um, So, you know, for us at Swimbox and for myself in particular, we teach crocodile breathing very, like the very first lesson. Because we start with the breath to start to understand posture and then also not improving the posture, but manipulating the posture to be maintained while they swim. And so with crocodile breathing, it's perfect because they're horizontal. Guess what? In the water, you're horizontal, right? Sure. Um, and it's it's the start of people learning how to use their diaphragm properly. Uh, it's the start of people understanding that they could direct air versus sure. just like taking a mindless breath. Um, and so the pelvic floor piece is important because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> you know, I, sure. I actually know one or two little things that I can do to, to help wake up a diaphragm and to help kind of like move air if somebody's really stuck. Um, but as far as like pelvic floor, Kegels, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I was just thinking about that. Um, and my mom doesn't listen to this, so she can't get upset. Um, <laughs> I'm going to send it to her. 
<laughs> she still probably won't listen. Um, so my mom had really, really bad scoliosis as a kid. She has a rod in her back. She was um, hospitalized for her main surgery for eight months where she was she could not be not on her back. Okay. And then I think there were three more months where I think she was slightly tilted up while they, where they sort of watched her after her surgery. I can't remember what the surgery was. So that's, you know, not great. But <laughs> um, recently she had uh, a hysterectomy. Uh-huh. She's 63. Um, and she was talking to me about how her doctor was saying how she had an incredibly weak pelvic floor and all of this stuff. And all I know about pelvic floor is what Dominic just said is Kegels. Sure. And I don't even know how aggressive that is towards... <laughs> the pelvic floor and so i'm listening to her tell me that she has to do kegels and how hard they are and i was just what are you talking about (laughs) she's like my pelvic floor is so weak that she has to lay on her back and lift her legs up to do kegels she can't Mm. do it without being in that position and i was just like a 90 90 she has her like knees up like at the end of yoga when you're like about to savasana oh like she's like hugging her legs in Uh uh-huh into her chest yeah which is an it's an interesting position to do Kegels in. I. She said her doctor was like, if you can't do them normally, do that and it'll her help. Her doctor or her physical therapist? Oh, I'm sorry. It is her physical therapist. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. Told her to do that. So she's in like a tuck <laughs> position on her back uh-huh. on her bed. But she's like, that's the only way she can do it. And she says, they're so hard for her. And I just was sort of at a loss for words. Because sure. I mean, I, that's how I hold my pee in for all of you who don't know what a Kegel is. Like, that's what you're doing, basically. Right? That's the doctor speak. Right. I feel like everyone that just heard the word Kegel, um, automatically you start doing Kegels. That's the way it works. So, because they're discreet. Nobody knows that Nobody you're Nobody knows. Them. It's our secret. I'm working out right now. And I know there's going to be somebody that listens to this who's going right. to lay on their bed and tuck right. their legs up and try it on their <laughs> you back. Can get it better. <laughs> like, oh, what are my Kegels doing? I just thought that was interesting because, I, I mean, like we just said, they're so simple. I do them on driving, you know, whatever. Right. Um, I just thought that was crazy. And I, mean, I don't know if it had to do with her hysterectomy or if it had anything to do with like her. I mean, her body's like pretty messy, like from the scoliosis. And one of her legs is actually longer than the other. She had to get her shin bone lengthened when I was a kid with one of those like turning yeah, device pretty, cages. Pretty <clears throat> yeah, she's had a lot of stuff done. So like her body's just pretty wonky. So wow, I, I didn't know sure. like it and was sort of like, yeah, of course this would be difficult for you. I, right. I get it. But it seemed so out of the blue that she had to lie down to Which do that. Is, I mean, the knees up position is a little unique because typically that's a position that we're giving patients who have the opposite problem. They actually have high tone in their pelvic floor. Um, so that's a little unique, but a lot of times we do assess and start lying down just because then gravity is not pushing down on your pelvic floor. Asking someone to do it sitting in the car a lot of times is a lot harder than just lying down because then you're putting gravity into the equation. It's very helpful. You can think of it like an elevator. You're trying to pull up, you know, to the second floor when okay. you're sitting. It's a lot harder. Interesting. To pull it up against gravity. Yeah. So um, many years ago, when I first started really getting into the breathing stuff, and I was teaching someone how to do some crocodile breathing, and I was teaching them how to cause that brace while they were swimming. Uh, I don't know if you'll remember this or not. Uh, he was like, "Oh." It, it's a it's a poop breath. Oh yeah. <laughs> I do remember because you thought it was hilarious. I was like, what? Are you even, what? Like I had no. 
So that was his pelvic floor. There, okay, there you go. Right? I mean, and that's you said what that this was. was a male, correct? It was. Yes. Yeah, so there are different cues. It's a little different in trying to cue men when it comes to pelvic floor contractions than it is with women. So that works. So if someone like an average healthy person, mm-hmm. right, generally healthy, um, are there specific things they need to be worried about? Or should they be doing things like maintenance work for their pelvic floor? Or do they just go about their life and wait for their pelvic floor to stop working? And then work. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, most people are not coming in just to get an assessment and make sure that everything's working well. However, I do find a lot of times people are coming into the clinic with lower back pain or hip pain or thoracic pain, whatever the case may be. And once we start getting deeper into the questions, we find that there might also be a pelvic floor component. So got it. It, you know, it's a great tool to have when treating lower back, pelvis, that sort of thing, to be able to also include that if needed. Okay. But, oh, and I was going to say, I like your crocodile breathing technique. Okay. They teach that actually in some of our courses because a lot of um, patients have a hard time with rib expansion. Yes. So, I mean, the, the typical way is hand on the belly, try mm-hmm. and breathe into my hand, and everybody tries so hard to focus on just raising the hand. Right. But, you know, in reality, you have to have the chest does rise a little bit and the ribs do need to expand. So we do put people on their bellies in order to try and force them to have that rib flare yeah. a little bit. So what I like to do is both. Um, yeah. I'll start them on the stomach so I can teach them so to sort of control the movement a little mm-hmm. bit. And then I'll flip them over on their back and I'll put them in a 90-90. Yep. And then have them try to do the same breathing on their back in the 90-90. Then I'll, if I go real deep, I'll make them go onto like a tabletop position sure. and then try it a little bit off the ground now yeah. and then on their knees. Sure. And if they're, you know, really struggling, eventually we'll get them standing up doing it. Sure. For the most part, I'll just do the, the first two steps and then they're standing up and able to actually sure. do that. Sure. In case you don't understand what this is going to feel like, I always tell people that it feels like you've eaten like too much pizza, like too many carbs. <laughs> That's how my stomach feels when I do this breathing. Like I have to expand the whole thing. So I'm always you like, pretend you're full. <laughs> I told people at that clinic in California that exact thing. And five people were like, oh my gosh, I got it. <laughs> so no. There you go. There you go. That's, wow. why, you're, that's why you're the swim coach. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so... Just, I forgot, I wanted to ask this earlier, but I totally spaced on it. Is this a specialty that's like coming out or have you just decided to focus on it because it's interesting to you and you like the work or like how, I've never heard of pelvic floor specialist PTs, Mm -hmm. but then again, there are so many other practices nowadays that I hadn't, I'm not very familiar with either. So is it something like, how did you explain? I'll just stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are a lot of us out there actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, There are a lot of us, yes, but there are also a lot of physical therapists who would prefer to refer to us. (laughs) So this is not the area that they want. It's different. It Mm -hmm. is very different. I mean, there is an internal exam involved. Um, Typically, the complaints are different, but, you know, we're not just focusing in on the pelvic floor. It's not like people are dropping off their pelvic floor for an hour to get fixed. (laughs) It's still a whole body approach, Mm -hmm. so we're still looking at everything else, Um, but in Sadly, you know, it's not as um, recommended by physicians. The majority of the patients that a lot of us see come from outside uh, recommendations from friends or other moms or um, the therapist might recommend them. But 
it, so we do a lot of education too. We okay. try to spread awareness. Who do in even when they should send them to you? Who do physicians usually send your clients to first? Just like a random general um, PT if or? they if it's coming from a primary care, then they might be sent to pain management. They might be sent to an OBGYN. Um, okay. And then a lot of times it's just um, either surgery or medication So you're hard to find because people don't want to. It's, it's just been hard to educate um, the, the nece- medical community. Right. Like this sounds like a necessity to work on. I mean, in our opinion, yes. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I would agree, yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, so that leads me to the next question, which is, well, kind of going back a little bit if you know a general practitioner doesn't know to refer someone to have their pelvic floor you know looked at Mm -hmm. how what are some symptoms or signs that people might want to take note of not to cause panic or anything sure sure um incontinence obviously that's one of the big ones that but a lot of times though I think we're good now, but go ahead, Jamie, go for it. Explain away. Well, you know, all I was going to say is that um, incontinence kind of sadly is normalized. You see commercials Mm -hmm. for sleek looking women's depends or panty liners and that sort of thing. But just because it's common doesn't mean that it's normal and that you should have it. Exactly. Common doesn't mean accepted. So that's a big one. Constipation. That's huge. I mean, we treat constipation, especially if there's a musculoskeletal component, pelvic pain, pain with intercourse. Um, there are endometriosis. There are bladder dysfunction, um, pain like painful bladder syndrome. There are just lower back pain, pelvic pain that you just can't get rid of with traditional PT. Maybe there's a pelvic floor component. Postpartum, if you want to return to exercise, you want to run again, there's a lot of things that can be addressed with a pelvic floor PT to make sure that you're safe to do that too. Is there is there any indication athletically, like if someone was a runner mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I went for a two-mile run the other day, and what would they expect to feel if something was wrong sure um a lot of women uh who have issues with running will complain that running is when they have incontinence they may not have it regularly throughout the day but if they go for a long run or if they're doing sprints that's when they then experience incontinence or as we yeah so what this is a little off topic maybe too far down the rabbit hole but i'm curious what is the compensation that's causing the incontinence? And like, if they're not using their pelvic floor, what are they using? Is that what it is? Sure. Uh, they be using nothing? Is that what, is that even possible? <laughs> <laughs> Just like um, go for something and nothing happens. So what typically happens or what I found is that with the running, with the impact from the ground, the ground reaction forces, they're not able to manage their pressure again to maintain okay. continence. Mm-hmm. And so then a lot of times we've also found with the internal exam, they might actually have tight pelvic floor muscles because they're they're strong. They're constantly trying to maintain continence when mm-hmm. they're running or when they're working out. And if you've got a shortened muscle, it's not going to contract as effectively as it would if it were at its normal length tension. So we actually find oh. that athletes, high-level athletes, may have the opposite problem they're not necessarily weak in their pelvic floor Mm -hmm. but their muscles are overly tight and so we actually have to try and get them to come back to where they should be so they can contract correct i would never have thought your pelvic floor could be too well i guess it's not too strong it's just too tight (laughs) correct Uh uh-huh and are the the sort of symptoms or 
you know, the same or similar. It's like, uh, I have too much contraction in my pelvic floor. Is it the same things that are going to show up yes. to indicate, oh, I have it a It can be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Incontinence can occur because you're too weak or because you're hypertonic. I mean, who doesn't have a friend who's been like, that. I've been on that run and I like, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to make it because I've been there. But I was also like 22 when I said that. So I'm, I mean, I, that was from Hot Cheetos, you know. <laughs> These things happen. I actually know somebody who used to run cross country in college and they couldn't run more than 10 minutes. Like that first 10 minutes initial, like for that for their run, they always had to go into the woods. Uh, always. So. Bowel movement though? Yes. Ah, uh, yes. There is something to be said about that habit too. Yeah. So. What's to be said about that? Yeah, I don't have a great, I don't have a great, it is, I don't have a great answer for that one, but that's not an uncommon complaint that okay. um, I've heard. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was just going to tell this story about my friend and then I realized that he has IBS. So like, <laughs> that's not really fair. <laughs> so obviously that makes sense. <laughs> but he had this epic story about running around college and we knew everywhere he was going, he was telling like five or six of us and I was just like, what is happening this is a cartoon that doesn't happen to real people i like i can't i just was so glad that when i had problems i was in the gym (laughs) it's like we're just done today there you go i know everyone wanted to hear that Uh, thank you we'll we'll find another podcast to do ibs (laughs) it is um so i have i want to bring up the blog post that you sent me this morning yeah, okay. sure. And I want to bring it up because I think the person who wrote that information mm-hmm. was looking at it through the lens of a PT, maybe. Correct. Yes, absolutely. She would be. And there was, we'll say gray area information mm-hmm. that she was sort of combining with the concepts that they were talking about with the breathing for the pelvic floor engagement would mm-hmm. that be the correct way to say that sure. um so before we talk about that blog post did you have something to say and you just explain what the blog post well we're going to talk about that in a second <laughs> before we do i wanted to go through sort of the steps that i sort of focus on or the concepts that i focus on with people and get your thoughts sure in that um so we try to teach people to keep their ribs sort of to a medium open to closed position while they swim versus medium to open position while they swim. Does okay. that make sense to you? Sure. I'll, yeah. I can use my little, my, my model also <laughs> knows my fingers. This is open, okay. this is medium, this is closed, right? So we okay. try to promote medium to close for their exhale, medium for their inhale. Okay. Because as soon as they go open all the way, back extenders get involved, right. weird things happen, shoulder blades can't move as well. Sure. All right. So we focus on keeping the ribs in that that you know halfway closed position uh, to closed or maybe we can say an exhaled position okay um and so that way shoulder blades can run up and down the rib cage more freely mobility sure. is better that in my opinion also helps keep the abdominal pressure mm-hmm. um and keep that canister that we were talking about it keeps the back extenders turned off so you can use your hamstrings, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people don't use their hamstrings, or if they do use their hamstrings, they use them in a weird way. Okay. Um, and so I recognize in general, people typically use their back, overuse their back extenders as respiratory muscles versus their hamstrings. Okay. There should be a balance, right? Okay. Um, 
And so the way that demonstrates itself in the water is you see people swimming with a like a sure. huge U-shape in their back or almost like a lardosis-looking right. swimmer. Like, whoa, what's going on there? And it's because a lot of people are so um, oxygen-addicted and dependent that they're swimming with their chest wide open to try to get as much air as they can with every breath they take. Okay. All right? And there's some fl- things in that blog post that we'll talk about oh, okay. <laughs> um, that are contrary to what I just said, right? I mean, what I said was we want exhale position closer to an exhale position versus an inhale position. Okay. Right? Um, trying to think of some of the other things we really focus on. It's basically diaphragmatic breathing. Um, so I don't know where you got the blog post mm-hmm. from. We don't need to talk about that. But okay. it is important to know you got it from the internet. And it was from a, I would say, reliable source, right? She, yeah, she's she's very well-known uh, physical therapist. Um, she does a lot of education, and her specialty is pelvic floor, but with a focus on athletes. Mm-hmm. So all athletes, though. Um, but, so you know, when I saw her piece about swimming, I just thought I would yeah, it was great. see what your thoughts were on that, because swimming is not my expertise, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and, and nor should it be, right? I, right. I, we can't be experts in everything, so. Uh, because I don't want to throw her under the bus. It's not oh, fair, because I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with a, a portion of it, for sure. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. Why aren't we talking about her? Um, so. Do you have it with you? I, d- I did bring it, yes. <laughs> Good. Just I'm going to pull it up uh, real fast on my phone so I can remember some of the things that we... I was like, oh, this is interesting to talk about. Do you agree with any of it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see in a second. I think I might... With some of them, I might have an idea of where you're coming from with it. So I'm that. hoping that I can help clarify. Well, let's just say that... I wanted to be to be known that this is someone who is an expert in her field, mm-hmm. who's on the internet. The author, the yep, who's on the internet talking about her field, but through the lens of a different field that she probably shouldn't be talking about. Or if she did consult with somebody, that person who she consulted with needs education. Okay. Um, in my opinion, and I can't tell I'm a little opinionated yeah, about this. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I take breathing very seriously. Sure. And, and it's something that I'm really passionate about. All right. So, number one, simple trick is to blow bubbles while you are swimming. So, well, let me preface some of this. She also, I do not think, is looking at this, um, these instructions for a competitive swimmer. So, okay. I think she's also thinking of this for her female athletes, leisure swimming, someone who may already have pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so look at it that so way also. So it's interesting because traditionally swim coaches teach people to blow out of their nose slowly and blow bubbles while they swim, mm-hmm. which is appropriate for someone learning how to swim mm-hmm. because it prevents water from getting up their nose. It helps them be comfortable. Basically it, it forces an exchange of air because people do when they're learning, they freak out a little bit and they hold their breath. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's not an athletic breath. Right. Right? So you couldn't ask or you shouldn't ask or instruct somebody who is athletic or in an athletic endeavor to blow air out slowly. Sure. That would be like telling someone who runs, blow out slowly when you run. Sure. It doesn't work that way. Sure. And so we, we I say we, it's really me. I have a, a sort of a, a, a line in the sand where it's okay. If you're working out anything under 70%, 
you can blow out slowly. Okay. If you're going anything more than 70%, heavy, <laughs> come here, you. Um, if you're working out anything more than 70%, then it is a more poignant breath. Sure. Right? It's more like walking versus running. Right. And so that was my first problem because sure. she's back actually giving bad advice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right? And, and it should be prefaced with if you're doing this, do it this way. If you're sure. doing this, do it that way. Sure. So, but this is me being very, very picky. Right, which I think is totally fair. Her One of her big um, techniques that she likes to teach is blow before you go. So that's kind of, and it's not necessarily all evidence-based. It's somewhat what she's seen, how she trains, because a lot of the breathing with the heavy exertion stuff with physical therapy, we're still in the process of researching a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But knowing that with that quick exhale, we're getting the pelvic floor to pull up. Nice. That's what she's trying to encourage here. So it's not necessarily someone who's, you know, doing the competitive swim, but maybe it's somebody who has prolapse and she's trying to encourage them to get a little bit of pelvic support before mm-hmm. they start swimming and managing their pressure in this way. So And not- that's really cool and interesting because the first step before anyone actually takes any strokes with me is blow your air out. There you go. Because what going back to that crocodile breathing, right. I was teaching them to, to set their posture by closing their ribs through an exhale. There you go. So closing the ribs is my mm-hmm. kind of cue. Um, also helps to sort of prime or get the pelvic floor Pulls ready. it back up. Yep. Pulls it it back creates up. a little bit of a lift. So as you exhale, the diaphragm is doming, right? Yes, correct. And so the diaphragm is doming into like an umbrella shape right? as the pelvic floor is lifting. Correct. Get the mechanics of that? Lissa, you're looking at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) I'm looking at you because I should have made you define top of the can. Because you didn't say like the top half of the can. You said the top of the can. And I assumed you meant the top that you like pop to drink out of, but I didn't clarify. Oh, so like the lid. I should have asked that. The lid. So now I understand the umbrella. That's why I was looking at you like that. I was like, oh, I should have. I should have clarified that earlier so that everyone else understood. Because I thought I did, but I wasn't sure. Okay, that was my see, This is where, for me, the breathing Mm -hmm. stuff is so interesting in that that's the same exact cue that I use for people. Right. But unfortunately, she's also promoting something that isn't going to be helpful for swimmers. The the longer exhale. Right. Okay, got it. So that's just interesting. Okay. This is part two, number two. <laughs> this is when I was reading. I was like, wow, two in a row. This is great. Now, if you're going on to number two, I have questions about that too, because that I was having a difficult time comprehending. So. I think it actually sounds like bad kinesiology. Okay. Do you agree? It was a hard, I was trying to do strokes in my mind. And I okay. Okay. <laughs> I was so, trying to figure so it out. So number two is breathe on the odd strokes during freestyle. This means you will end up alternating which side you are breathing on. We call this bilateral breathing in swimming, right? Okay. Um, in reality, bilateral breathing, the definition should be the ability to breathe on both sides. Sure. Traditionally, it's thought of breathing on odd numbers, threes, fives, sevens. Okay. Um, now, let's see here. It's She writes, it's forcing you to use the muscles and pressure on both sides of your body in a balanced way. By turning your head and breathing to either your left or your right side. That doesn't make any sense to me because whether I turn my head, if I'm standing and I'm vertical, Mm -hmm. I turn my head to the left and exhale and breathe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. 
Okay. Am I using different muscles? Versus turning to the right? Versus doing that. Am I using different respiratory muscles to do that? I wonder if she's taking into account rotation of the thorax. So when you swim, this is my, my next point, everything is rotated. Okay. Your thorax and your hips or pelvis. Sure. They rotate together at about a f- maximum 45 degree angle. So okay. it wouldn't even matter. All right. So if okay. I turn my, my body and then I turn my head, I'm in alignment still. Got it. So that to me is you're right. You're not, you're not that's kind of the, that's why we, we promote people to turn their pelvis is so that they actually get back into alignment. They could have the full potential to generate force, full potential for basically good mobility sure. and kinesiology. Right. Um, so when I read that, I was like, this is a physical therapist writing this because <laughs> it wasn't me <laughs> <laughs> because I, I find this to be really interesting about PTs mm-hmm. in general. They're very clinical yes. and not like theory based, mm-hmm. not application based. So it seems like she knows this. She, she would have taken the time to probably ask or like think her way through the mechanics. She probably wouldn't have written that. Very, very possible. Right? Because I feel like someone who's as, as smart enough, or as smart as she is, mm-hmm. should be able to put those pieces together, but it's not her field, and so she's not going to like mess with it. Someone probably told her, oh, we ask people to breathe every three strokes, right? And so, uh, to me, this is very uh, near and dear. Sure. Uh, it's great. something I have to combat a lot of, because okay. there's a lot of information on the internet that <laughs> says, oh, you should bilateral breathe because it's better symmetry. We're not symmetrical, right? Right. That's not an issue for people. It shouldn't be an issue for people. Now, the issue is mobility. Of course. Some people might under-rotate to one side or the other side. So if I under-rotate to the side I prefer to breathe to, then I'm going to hurt my neck. Right. Right? Then there's an issue. And so it's often like a correlation kind of thing. Sure. All right? Well, Oh, if I breathe on my right side, I hurt my neck. But if I breathe on my left every once in a while, oh, I don't have that pain anymore. Well, you didn't really fix the problem. You avoided the problem. Right. right. right? So I have to teach people, and this goes back to our breathing method, our, our foundational breathing method, to take small breaths frequently. Okay. Just like you would in life. Right? So when I'm swimming, I want to breathe every other stroke. Mm-hmm. So I'll stick to my right side or I'll stick to my left side unless I want to change and see what's on my other side. And the reason for that is if I wait three strokes, then I become ox- in oxygen debt. Sure. And then I get desperate and then I take a bigger breath. And right. I have to take a bigger breath because I've utilized more oxygen than I had. Right. Right. So that leads to people taking up bigger breaths, opening their ribs up, disconnecting their pelvic floor sure. from the rest of their core. Sure. Right. And so that was like, uh oh, somebody told her wrong. Sure. Right. Sure. And, 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 I have spent a lot of time figuring this out and then like really questioning how I was coached, how other coaches are coaching, what I coach currently. And I still Mm -hmm. do. I still question everything I coach. So, you know, I'm very uh, strongly opinionated about breathe frequently, breathe a small amount. You're only supposed to get enough air to get you to your next breath. You don't need to get a breath that's going to get you across the pool. Sure. All right. So if I'm swimming anything more than 100 yards, I'm going to breathe frequently. So, so, you know, now you could be a swim coach too. <laughs> Good. <laughs> All right. Let's see. Um, uh, the backstroke and breaststroke thing, I think that's not true either. I think people are going to have breath holds because it's an athletic thing to do. Okay. Right? Does that make sense? There's there's a, a processing 
uh, moment. Okay. I inhale, I process, I exhale. That processing moment is decreased as my effort increases. Okay. Makes sense? 70% effort, I'm going to have a shorter breath hold. <sighs> right? Okay. If I have, if I'm laying on my couch doing nothing, I actually have a pause in between my inhales and my exhales because I'm processing my, my air that I just took in. Right. Sure. So it's going to happen. I think no matter what with breaststroke or backstroke, you don't get to breathe freely on backstroke, despite what she thinks. Got it. All right. Okay. You still find a rhythm. Got it. All right. It would still be the same rhythm as your freestyle. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so like, it was really nice to actually read this be like, oh, because this is two worlds meeting. Yes. Uh, yeah, it, absolutely. That's, that's why I sent it to you. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Um, this is my favorite one. Uh-oh. This is another one that I get to talk <laughs> talk against about. Um, kicking from the hips. We want to kick from the hips. Okay. It is over-cued. Uh, Definitely over-cued. Okay. So explain that to me because we're huge with glutes and we're huge with uh, making sure that the glutes are what's driving everything that we do. So... Um, often people try to kick exclusively from their hip mm-hmm. and they end up using their lower back. Oh, I could see that. Right. Absolutely. And then in addition to that, they're locking out their knees and their ankles because they're being told and by an expert, mm-hmm. she's not an expert in swimming, but an expert sure. she's being told, keep your knees straight as possible. Right. Is that okay. something she said? I think that's what she said. Yeah. Keep your bum untucked to engage your glutes by not bending your knees however you can keep your glutes engaged or you can engage your glutes you don't mm-hmm. need to keep them engaged you can engage your glutes with your knee bent that's Correct. a weird thought mm-hmm. to me um in that i think it's actually harder to engage your glutes with your knee perfectly straight because when you do that your right. quads are turned on right they're preventing the glute from firing because they're Reciprocal the opposite muscle yeah sure. all right um so swimming's incredibly dynamic. I don't know if it's any more dynamic than any other sport, sure. but I, I only know swimming, right? So in my mind, everything is turning on when it's supposed to, and everything's turning off when it's supposed to, but depending on the cycle of the stroke, the rotation, all these things. Sure. If I can get someone's back extenders to turn off, that would mean keep their back straight, mm-hmm. right? They can then access their hamstrings, and they should be accessing their hamstrings to help bend their knee a little bit. Sure. And that bend is, it varies in people. It just depends on the person. Um, some people might need to bend their knee a little bit more, but a good way to think about it is that they're almost, it's like cracking a bullwhip. Ankles okay. need to be floppy. Knees need to be relaxed, right? And so as I lift up the bullwhip, my hip, I'm pointing to my shoulder, am I making a bullwhip <laughs> motion here? Um, my my hip moves a little bit, mm-hmm. then my elbow, which would be my knee, would move a lot, and then I would snap it down. Right. So that's hamstring, some glute, some hip. Right. Right. And so typically, as people try to feel where their hamstring meets their glute, that's where the work is usually done in swimming. It's sure. not like straight up glute. Got it. Um, and if it is like right dead center in the glute, you're probably forcing that. Sure. It's it's, it's not like a running motion. Right, right. I kind of, I equate it to being on a skateboard or a scooter, right? It's that action. And so with that, it's similar to running, but not 100% to running. Right, right. Um, But the hamstrings get underutilized. And I'm very big into hamstring use. Got it. Because back extenders get overutilized. 
people start using their lower back right. and those hamstrings don't get any work at all. Right. Um, and we see, I see a huge difference in my clients that use their hamstrings properly. Okay. Uh, flip turns. I agree with. Okay. That was well, the one that. point that we I actually, got one. <laughs> all right, don't hold your breath. there on a flip turn. Uh, make sure you do actually blow air out. And we just did a flip turn clinic uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh. And that was something that a lot of people learned very quickly. Because okay. if you don't blow out, you get a lot of water up your nose. Got it. Um, and it's not a pleasant feeling. <laughs> um, and then also, just going back to the whole breathing thing, there, if you exhale quickly, mm-hmm. explosively, mm-hmm. your lungs create a vacuum. And your lungs don't like a vacuum. Right. So you reflexively inhale. So now I don't have to worry about thinking about my inhale. I just make sure I exhale at the right time and my inhale happens automatically. Okay. So, which is really important to swimming because in swimming, if you think about it, you're delaying. Mm. And the longer you keep your head in that position, the more things are going to fall apart. Right. All right. So with a slow exhale, it also equals a slow inhale. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's just another piece of like, this is really fascinating. I'm so glad Jamie sent me this. (laughs) I mean, it would be like if I wrote a, wrote a blog post about the pelvic floor. I don't know anything about the pelvic floor. Sure. And then I talk sure. to you and go, okay, now I can write about it. Right. So right. I might ask for that person's information and reach out to them. Like, <laughs> hey, let's talk. If you do, I'd love to listen because that would be fascinating. <laughs> I would love to talk to them. And uh, who knows? I, I mean, yeah. for me, it's about I have a contrast to their perspective. Sure. But I have a, so much to learn from their perspective as well. So I want to know why I have these contrasts and vice versa. Sure. That's, that's what it is for me. Sure. I know I come across as like, no, <laughs> that's just my personality though. So does that help clear up some of the, the, yes, the blog it does. post stuff? It does. Yeah, absolutely. Is that some of the questions you had about it? Yeah, there was, I think, cause I'm looking at it much differently than you are as Which far you as, should. well, <laughs> right, right. But I mean, I'm thinking of it more as, um, a woman who's got issues as opposed to, you know, a young person who's trying to get good time and be an amazing yeah, swimmer. Yeah. And just so you know, so, we work with everybody. Which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I know one of my former clients definitely had a pelvic floor issue. Sure. Um, but she was also in her seventies. Got it. Okay. Right. So we work with everybody. I see. You cannot say people's names. You're on a podcast. Then edit it out. I'm going to. There How we go. I know not to say things? Same thing. That's why I didn't. That's why I didn't say her name. Yeah. So that clap was my mark. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um, no, you won't. I'm gonna leave all this in. By the way. <laughs> I will literally just cut her name out. So. It happens. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, it, it it's important. I think when you put things out on the internet. We all need to be mindful about who's actually reading this and who is this written towards. Sure. Maybe there needs to be something at the top of this and says, this is specifically for somebody doing this or in this you know, situation. Right. So that there isn't confusion. And for us, you know, the internet is a dangerous place with information, right? Absolutely. And, 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 and for us, it's, it's very frustrating because... It's slow, so low entry to put something on the internet. The knowledge base doesn't need to be there for it to be something that somebody reads or sees on YouTube, and now they believe it. Sure. And and so you know, there's a lot of re-education involved for us. Um, so it, it's just something that I think 
we all need to be mindful of. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I don't know if we got an answer or not to things other than Kegels uh-huh. that people can do to help. Is it just simple <sighs> breathing stuff? Uh that's kind of a hard question to answer yeah. um, because it's usually what everybody recommends. Well, you have a pelvic floor problem, then do your Kegels. But how do you know you're doing them correctly? How do you know you're not contracting the wrong things? Right. Or how do you know you should even be doing them at all? Eat Just because right. you have incontinence yeah. doesn't mean that your pelvic floor is weak. As we'd said earlier, runners, they're not necessarily weak in their pelvic floor. So you might be Kegeling away when in reality you have a very short, tight pelvic floor, and that's the worst thing that you could be doing. So it's really best to get a um, get a good assessment first before you just try and you know jump into doing Kegels. That's very helpful, actually, because <laughs> the, the whole topic of pelvic floor came up because one of my clients was re- listening to uh, another swimming podcast, and they are based in Australia, mm-hmm. and they had a physio on. Oh, sure. Um, uh-huh talking about pelvic floor oh, and sure. abdominal pressure and they were like but they never really talked about how to improve abdominal pressure how to sure. strengthen the pelvic floor they only just talked about like what it does sure and i was the, like well i think there's just more to it and there this, is yeah there's, it's just not an easy fix yeah it's, it doesn't seem very easy it, it it's not you can't just verbally tell somebody this is how you can fix your pelvic floor dysfunction Unless you really know what are they doing. Yeah. Yeah. So. But abdominal pressure, I would I would say that's slightly easier in that <laughs> you can't see like we can't see what someone might be doing to not be able to cause abdominal pressure. It could be as simple as they don't have the right position. Sure. Right. Or it could be something um, dysfunctional with inside of them. Right. And so could. Right, but, but we can at least say, well, if you can figure out how to exhale and get your ribs to close during your exhale, when you inhale, allow don't allow your ribs to expand completely. Recognize they will expand. Right. Can you put that air down lower? Which is good. Cause right. I mean, a lot of times in assessing, when I ask somebody to try and either tighten their pelvic floor or do a brace, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of breath holding or a lot of um, Valsalva. People are bearing down a lot, really hard. That's what they think the brace is. Valsalva. <laughs> the Valsalva, where it's you're is almost straining. Part it's, of me. <laughs> it's like, like a movement, but okay. it's like a hard, a hard bear down, and that's not what we're trying to okay. encourage with almost kegeling like a, and bracing. An aggressive clench. It is. It's like okay. you know, the face turns red and right, that like kind of. A, I didn't know yeah. there was a word for that. Yeah. Volsalva. 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 I don't know why I know that word, but I do. You were like, yeah. <laughs> what? I know what it is. I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I do research. I, don't know. <laughs> I read things. I don't, I don't know. I don't do research. When it comes to like breathing stuff, right? It's a common it, one when it comes it's very to breathing. Common. It is. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it speaks to what we always talk about with uh, foundational breathing method stuff is we're causing core, core engagement, not we cause core tension through the breath without clamping down without causing, right. I think Jared likes to say tension versus engagement. Those things are, I mean, they're synonyms. They're the same thing basically. So it's, it's really let your breath help cause your core to react versus you forcing the muscles to react. Right. 
we both know that when someone breathes properly, their core is reacting. Correct. But it's reacting appropriately. And if you think about it as individual muscles, that's when there's problems. Right. Right. Yeah. So we try to try to just frame it in. This is how you're supposed to like take a breath versus use this muscle. Right. Right. Which right. is that maybe a potential cause of weak pelvic floors? Like going overboard with like squeeze your belly button into your spine. Oh, right? I, it, it I think so. Shuts yeah. it down. It's not a great, it's not a great cue really. Cause when I, I mean, seeing that done before, um, people tend to just hold their breath. Right. You yes. know, bring your belly button to your, oh, then they suck it in. Like they're trying to, you know, pull on a tight pair of pants and, and that's not right. a good, it doesn't seem to be a good cue either. So. Right. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Just trying to figure out like some of the things that we talk about, whether it's in person with people or on the podcast or even in videos online, mm-hmm. um, we can't ever see what that person is doing to try these things. And oh, so sure. it becomes very difficult, right? You like not one size fits all. Right. Everyone it's is not. different. Yep. And that's the joy of what you do. And that's the joy of what I do. I think is I'm helping people that have similar problems, mm-hmm. but different issues. Sure. All right. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think anything else that you want to mention about the pelvic floor before we wrap this thing up. Any questions for Jamie before we wrap this thing up? Um, I mean, have you treated a swimmer for anything like this? You know, I have not actually treated a swimmer for pelvic floor dysfunction. The most recent swimmer was a young, a young athlete who I think um, would have benefit from Jarrett. Actually, mm-hmm. um, he was a little bit more too caught up in his own head with his different dysfunctions. Oh, okay. But, um, I've been there. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> all of us. But I can see how now it would be really applicable to what you guys do kind of, you know, you can see different things now that I might be looking for and vice versa. Now I have a better understanding Mm -hmm. of what I should and should not be saying (laughs) to to your athletes. (laughs) I I don't really have any more questions. I feel, I mean, if you ask me that, I'll come up with them for days. This is just crazy because I'm I'm still talking. So you need to move the mic away from me while I'm speaking. Um, I just, it's fascinating to me because this isn't something, at least this wasn't something I learned about in any of my biology, anatomy, although, I mean, I didn't, I was an econ major, so I'm not going to go that <laughs> in depth, but like, I don't know, I feel, I feel like these things should be more well known since like, that's a, all of the problems you listed are very common. They are like, very common. You but didn't they're... say anything other than Volsalva that I was like, what, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like that just, it seems to me like I know people who have every one of those problems. But they don't talk about them. Right. Nobody goes to dinner and talks really about their <laughs> incontinence. Hey, guys. You, you need to come to dinner with us. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> no, I just think it's I think it's fascinating. And, like, I better understand the canister thing. I, I think that it's, like, a piece, like you were saying earlier, Jamie, like, people don't think about it. People forget about it. And mm-hmm. It sounds like that's incredibly <laughs> not what you need to be doing. <laughs> I hadn't realized it tied into so many things. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's sort of like the diaphragm. You like forget that your diaphragm really is part of your abdominals. Mm-hmm. Then, like, then you're like, oh my god, my diaphragm does all of these things. And then, right. but like, there's more to it. That's just the top. Right. And it's just, it's just crazy how much it Im- impacts things to me. It's just very interesting to listen to. I, I, I think. Like, I just. I've never delved into any of that before besides Kegels. So I would assume that like most people are like pelvic floor Kegels done. Right. But there's so much more. Like, I don't know. I don't have any other questions. This is crazy. Interesting. So uh, if 
if somebody, I want to refer someone to you. Sure. I have someone in mind. Okay. Perfect. Um, if someone comes to see you, mm-hmm. is it like a free consultation to see if they, their pelvic floor needs to be worked on? Or is it just go? Uh, <laughs> you know, um, because I own my own practice, usually I communicate with the patient uh, ahead of time. Kind of, we just chat and see, oh, okay. you know, what is it that you're experiencing? What is it that you want to work on with me? And then based on that, then we go ahead and we schedule an initial evaluation. And that's where we go over everything. Okay. So kind of cover everything, history, look at everything, see what it is, see what the goals are. Um, and you don't need a prescription. You can be seen in Virginia for a month. 30 business days without a prescription to see a PT. Oh, wow. oh nice. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say like your average turnaround is? Like someone comes in, you start working with them. Is it a lifelong pursuit? Or no, it- <laughs> no, nobody wants to do this for the rest of their life. <laughs> no, it depends. I mean, if I've got a case who's had dysfunction, they come in and maybe this has been going on for 10 years. Well, yeah, it probably isn't going to be resolved in four to six weeks, but if you're someone who's motivated and you want to get better, it's a once a week typically appointment. We spend okay. as much time together as we need, at least an hour. This is not an in and out 15-minute session. Um, six weeks. I mean, you need six weeks at least if there's going to be strength gains anyway. Yeah. So six weeks, eight weeks sometimes depending. But okay. that's usually the goal is around six to eight weeks. And do you usually send them home with exercises and of homework? Course. Of course. Yeah. Just checking. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um... Do you want to put some information out there that people can contact you? How can fi- people find you? I'll put it all on the bottom. We'll put it there on the web. The, we'll put it on the the the, the post as well. There you go. Um, so we can get that from you if you don't want to like share. I always sure. find it weird when like with like podcasts <laughs> like I can't I can't I'm not gonna remember that I'm not I can't right. I'm driving right, right now I'm not writing this down right. like I'll never remember this I'll exactly. forget about it so we'll put it on there we'll put it on the description sure so people can find you. Um, all right. Sounds great. great. Anything else before we go? Uh, no, you, I you don't think so. You came so prepared. I, I tried. <laughs> the <laughs> most prepared guest oh, so perfect. far. Oh, perfect. Good. Glad you definitely win that award. Awesome. Thanks. Um, That's true. Yeah. So, all right. Great. Cool. Well, I well, appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. And we'll talk to you. I probably want to talk to you again, by the way. Sounds just good. so you know. Sounds good. I can all do right. it. We'll talk to you soon then. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.